Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Is. Hi, Em. How are you doing over there? I'm doing great. I'm really excited about our stories and these episodes. There were so many conflicting reports with the New York reunion. It was out of control. I don't even know what to believe, but we got a couple of answers. Yeah, let's go over some of the stuff that was reported and then taken back. And I mean, I should preface this entire thing by saying we have no idea really, but there are some sources that I think we trust more than others, aka Dave Quinn is up there for me with the most trustworthy typically. Yeah, 100%. I think it kind of started with Dumois and then Twitter also took it all from there. Dumois posted a super long DM that they got basically saying that Ramona was being cut, Sonia was being cut, that they were in talks to bring Tinsley back, and that Bethany was maybe going to come back, but only if she was given like an executive producer title. Everyone just took that and ran with it. Right. And the thing is, everything Dumas posts, even if they don't write it on each slide, they always say, you know, nothing can be verified. We're just posting what we get. So it's not like they're saying this with 100% certainty, but, you know, people want to believe that type of rumor because it was definitely drama filled. But aside from the fact that, you know, Bryce Sander had tweeted saying most of that was not true, Bethany also directly went on Twitter and basically said, I'll read her quote verbatim. I posted on Insta that my being in talks with Bravo TV is false. I deleted there and took it here because Haiti is what's important and I don't want to clutter messages with false gossip. The leak is desperate for attention. I haven't spoken to Bravo since leaving and Andy and I don't discuss Housewives in New York. Yeah, she posted a video like on her website saying the same thing too. And it's just so funny because everyone took this and was spiraling about it. And then to hear her say, I never have spoken to Bravo since I left Housewives and Andy and I never talk about the show. It really makes you like put into perspective all the rumors that you hear and how far off they really can be. You know, honestly, I know this has nothing to really do with what we're talking about exactly. But for me, I never believed the Bethany rumor. So what was most interesting to me about her video slash tweet was the mention of Andy, because I feel like for a little while now, we've been curious as to what their relationship was like, because there was speculation that they had kind of a falling out. And so she definitely made the distinction of like, we talk, but we don't talk about housewives. And I know it's minor, but that's where my mind went. It's also hard because these are characters, quote unquote characters, that we know so well. So to say, oh, Bethany is interested in joining, but only if she has say of the casting and if she gets a producer credit sounds very on brand and kind of believable. I didn't think it was true because I just know that she is so far gone from being on Housewives. I mean, never say never, but it's we the people saying and circulating these rumors we know so well how the conversations would hypothetically go down that it is really hard to distinguish like, okay, what is really happening and what is people just gossip? Yeah. Also, I think, I mean, I'm just kind of talking out loud here. I know this is a total hypothetical, but I think that that would maybe be unheard of, that one of the housewives was allowed to have an executive producer title and none of the other ones were. To me, I just, even Bethany, I mean, maybe again, in this hypothetical world, she would have leverage for this one season because of 
how far New York has to go from where it just landed this one season. But I, I don't see it. I think that that's an absolute, no, I can't imagine. I'll put it like this. I can't imagine other housewives being down for that. No, there's just no way. And it would set such a weird precedent. I do think that they could bring her on as like a casting director or just a sort of behind the scenes person helping bring in new housewives and sort of seeing what could happen because she does know a lot of people, but no way would it ever be a housewife that was actually physically on the show. Well, I mean, didn't she get Leon? We saw how that went. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but she's she's done pretty well in the past. No, she has. Also, there was this whole rumor that the reunion was happening entirely virtually, which Dave Quinn tweeted and said that that was completely untrue. However, apparently, and again, this is all completely speculation, but apparently there seems to be truth to the fact that they haven't filmed the reunion yet, so there seemingly will be a hiatus in between the finale and then the reunion. It's all so weird. And then Reality Blurb and a bunch of other platforms were saying that the season got cut short technically, that there were supposed to be 20 episodes and now all of a sudden next week is the series finale and that's only the 17th episode. Maybe that could include reunion, maybe not. It does feel like it really happened so abruptly, like we just saw the mid-season trailer and now it's over. But the timeline is just off. Usually when the finale is airing, we've already seen the reunion looks and we've seen clips of what it may or may not look like. And we've heard Andy say, you know, shit went down at the Salt Lake City reunion. Like we have something to expect. So the fact that they haven't even filmed it yet, everyone was saying they're filming it on Wednesday today when we're recording and virtually and that it made sense because Luann was in St. Bart's and Ramona's in Aspen for the month. But who knows? It is weird, though, that nothing has happened. Am I wrong in saying this? Did I just miss it? Because I don't think that Andy has yet tweeted saying, you know, my team and I are gearing up for the New York reunion. Send us your questions, which he normally does. I mean, I haven't seen it. I feel like that would be a great piece of evidence for people to bring up, and nobody has. So, <laughs> There was one other rumor that I just want to mention in the sake of mentioning all rumors that basically said, you know, one of the reasons that the reunion was delayed was because Ebony's contract wasn't renewed and she was seeking legal action. So that was posted and she commented directly saying, lies, no one is seeking legal action. Y'all are so raggedy, lazy, and misinformed, which to me, there was just no way there was truth to that because aside from the fact that I don't foresee her doing that, I just cannot envision a world in which her not coming back would be a Bravo decision. Like the only way that I think she's leaving for next season hypothetically is if she left herself. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think there's just so many things that come out and none of it's true or some of it's true and you just never know. Yeah. So I don't know. We will definitely see, but I'll tell you one thing. This is definitely not going to be a three-parter. This will either be a one-part or two-parter. I mean, when Dave Quinn tweeted, knowing that the Real Housewives of New York season 13 finale is next week and they still haven't filmed a reunion, will this be the first franchise in Housewives history to not have a reunion? Like, there are bad seasons and then there are seasons that literally end with no reunion. That is, I think, as bad as it could get. Yeah, I mean, last season, Orange County, obviously, as we know, was definitely subpar. However, when you thought about all the things that went down, you could understand why a reunion was needed. I mean, you know how I feel about that reunion. It literally haunts my dreams. But regardless, it happened. And it was filmed, and they got dressed, and they sat up on the weird fucking stage, and they did it. 
Yeah. I don't I don't think it's gonna happen. I, I honestly don't. I, I think that there will be a reunion. I just don't know how it will go down. And you know what? Listen, nobody is above acknowledging that sometimes things ebb and flow. And even when Ebony was on our podcast, she was saying like COVID played such a giant role in the way that this season played out. And I just feel like that point cannot be emphasized enough. Yeah, it's true. You don't realize how much in New York you need the events and kind of like what goes on around them to take part. And I guess this really highlighted for us. Even going out to meals and bars, like the element of New York was missing. And that is what makes the show in a way. Totally. I mean, any in any city, the, the backdrop of the city is so important. Obviously, I would say top of that list is probably Salt Lake City because everything about Salt Lake City is so deeply intertwined throughout the show. But yeah, in any franchise. The actual pulse, though, of New York and being out on the streets is just different than anything else. I mean, I'm also such a New Yorker, so we could go on. But yeah, I agree. Anything else you would like to mention or shall we get into Beverly Hills? Let's get into it. I came to the realization recently that I was just like desperately in need of a closet clean out because you know when you're getting ready and you just can't find anything, you have so many things that you don't even wear that you can't find the stuff that you do wear and it's just like a chaotic and unenjoyable process. That was me. I'm still, to be honest with you, in the process of cleaning out. But one of the biggest game changers for me in this process has been finding just like high quality essentials that I can mix and match with anything so that I can have less things, but the things that I have, I can wear with a lot. And I've told you guys about them before, but I think that Quince is one of the best at this in terms of just finding the high quality, affordable pieces. And they have a lot of really great sweaters. I love their Mongolian cashmere oversized boyfriend cardigans. I just find them to be so comfortable. I have them in a bunch of colors. They also have washable silk tops, which are amazing, like really easy, comfortable, high quality throw-ons that you can wear for so many different occasions. And the best part is all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So The way that it works is by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes that savings on to us, which is kind of like best case scenario for all involved. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. I know that I was definitely in the minority here and I recognize that, but I was not on the A.L. Booker bandwagon until this episode. No, I always thought, of course, he's very gorgeous. He has the hot accent. They're such a hot couple. They seem so cute from what I've seen on her stories. But when he was being such a little cutie when they were talking about like getting married and he's crouching down on the floor taking pictures of Delilah in that Hervé Leger dress – I was melting. And maybe it was because just how much Lisa loves him and she was saying how much Harry loves him. I mean, give this guy a show. I guess he already had one, but still, (laughs) I want more. Yeah, I loved seeing it. And I can't help but feel, obviously, I know our minds go to this, but also Lisa really did say it in her confessional, that for Amelia, I bet in her ideal world, like she would love that same type of warm reception to happen on camera with Scott. And there's just no way that that's going to happen, at least at the current moment. So I wonder if she felt that or if that's me completely making it up in my head. Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, 
I said this a couple weeks ago and it's, that was only when Scott had been mentioned maybe like two times. And now I feel like every week it comes up and I would say this to Rinna's face and I think she would admit it too. She's milking the Scott thing a little bit and it's uncomfortable for us to watch. And I can only imagine how it feels for Amelia, especially like as the months go by. Their relationship was maybe a little bit fresher when this was filmed. So now to be months out and their relationship probably more serious, it's got to be hard to watch back. Yeah, no, totally. Although as the mom, I still understand why I would completely disapprove and have absolutely no qualms in saying that. You know, even though I so get that it must be uncomfortable for Amelia, I like can't pretend like I don't get where Rin is coming from, you know? Yeah. And seemingly she still feels the same way because in more recent like stories and when she was on Watch Happens Live, it's the same kind of tone. Exactly. Also, I know this is so not important considering how amazing this episode was. But for one second, I just want to say that those dresses were so gorgeous. Drop dead. And they fit them so perfectly. No, it's absolutely unfair. And you know that was only a small handful of what she's got going on under those garment bags. Yeah. I quickly just want to talk about the scene at Crystal's house when Dorit comes over because we talk about this a lot. It's not every single time that we are prepped as the viewer that like, a confrontation is about to go down. So it would have been very plausible that we would have walked into that Rena Beauty launch and had no idea that Dorit was about to launch into Garcelle in that way. However, we kind of had a heads up, although she definitely downplayed it to Crystal based on what actually happened, which I know we'll get into. It was classic Giselle Bryant seed planting. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, what is Crystal supposed to say? I think out of the two of them, she's probably closer to Garcelle. Yeah, it was just... You could tell Dorit had been marinating on this and sort of thinking about it, and it was a way for her to plant the seed and maybe bounce it off Crystal a little bit and hope for her to say, oh, yeah, you're so right. She's been attacking you, and just see like if anyone else was noticing it. But I think her mind was pretty much made up at this point already that she was going to say something at the party, and nobody could really stop her or change her direction. I think she had enough power behind her decision. Right. And also, if you're to read and you're trying to think about this strategically, it's probably smarter when it comes from like a production perspective to have the conversation with Crystal, who has never had an issue with Garcelle, versus having it with like Kyle or Rinna, because I think, I mean, listen, the audience did not take kindly to it anyway, because her delivery was so unbelievably poor, which we'll get into. But I can understand that mindset of like, I don't want to make this a gang up thing. Let me talk to somebody who actually is on great terms with Garcelle or has never had an issue with Garcelle. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when you also boil it down, I think this whole conversation, the whole thing about Dorit bringing everything up to Garcelle was probably 70% production storyline based and 30% emotional because I do think she probably was like annoyed and offended. And last week when Garcelle said that thing, that's not what you said the other night, that definitely stuck with her because, you know, it was like jarring. I mean, I thought it was fucking amazing, but from Dorit's perspective, I get how that probably bothered her. But I do think overall, this was very much motivated by having a plot line, staying relevant, having a storyline kind of sticking up for herself and creating an enemy and just, I don't know, having something to talk about. I know. It's crazy because I really genuinely do like Dorit as a housewife. I appreciate her presence. We spoke about her glam at length and I stand by all of that. It's just sometimes watching the self-sabotage in action because of the lack of clarity in her delivery is so frustrating. It's so frustrating. And I like her 
even more than just the glam, she's had some fucking great moments. And a lot of it comes from her long-winded, just putting her foot in her mouth or being a little bit oversensitive or really doing things like she did this episode, which is bringing up any issues that she has. However, this to me just felt like a little bit too much and it honestly just wasn't worth it. Yeah, we'll get into the exact thing of how it went down. But one second to go to Erica's house when Kyle and Rinna come over. Okay, I just I'm I I know it has been seasons and I should not react in this way. The air comes out of me with the Yolanda Hadid reference when it comes to David. I do not know why. It is absolutely a drug to me. I can't even tell you when Erica brings up leaving Yolanda's condo after she divorced David, like, uh, inject that in my veins. Inject that into my fucking veins. I want to hear all of the details about that. I am so sorry that we didn't have a podcast back in the Yolanda days because before even Bella and Gigi and anyone was a thing, like, my obsession with Yolanda was so deep. I didn't always agree with her, but I just loved her. I thought she was an impeccable housewife. So for Erica to reference an old housewife and it's Yolanda Hadid, like, no, I'm sorry. I love when anyone references any old housewives that have been on, but this just hits different, especially because it's in a Yolanda era that we didn't get to see. So now not only are we getting Erica referencing old Yolanda stuff and, you know, this amazing friendship that they had because they really were great friends. They maybe still are. But we're also getting a little bit of a peek into Yolanda and David's divorce and what went on there. Right. And on top of all of that, this is not just some random anecdote. If we want to believe Erica's story just for like a half a second to follow this, what she's talking about was the catalyst for her discovering Tom's cheating. Believe that or not, it doesn't matter, but she is referencing that story to point out why it was such a pivotal moment in her marriage with Tom. So like, whether or not we want to believe that it's true, the fact that she is giving almost Yolanda Hadid's recounting of her failed marriage with David as the reasoning for that feels really big. Right. Like David Foster potentially cheating on Yolanda is now somehow connected to this Erica and Tom situation. That is mind-blowing. Right. Like those are the threads that I so appreciate in Housewives, specifically Beverly Hills. Oh my God. Just the word Yolanda literally sent a shiver down my spine in the best way. I knew you would feel the same way. I'm so glad. Not everybody would have that same reaction. Like I feel like if I mentioned that to some other Bravo watchers, they would be relatively apathetic. So it really made me feel so validated that you just got that. Oh, no, no, no. The first time she did it, I almost died on the spot. But this, again, I wasn't expecting a double whammy in one season. I know. What do you think about this Sutton conversation that took place where they basically kind of you know, filter in on what had gone down? Because listen- I understand Erica was kind of going into that night relatively blind, and so now they're giving her the backstory. And Erica's perspective is that Sutton's a coward, which what's your response to that? I mean, I think Erica has to just find a way to get her problems out without saying what they are. She is in, when you think about it, a really hard position because most likely she has to tell one story to the, her friends and the cameras 
and one story is the actual truth and what she knows. So to keep those stories straight and also have these arguments and be so angry and take out your anger while still having composure, like a lot of it is so much deflection. And I get why she's mad. I think the root of it is how can you like give such a fuck about yourself when I'm going through this mess? Like I don't have time for that. And I just think she is pissed that she's in this position. She's pissed that Sutton is calling her out on it and just not letting it be. And she, I think and if it was anyone, that's how she would react. I don't know. I kind of, I, I get why she's pissed, but I don't think it's right because I, I mostly agree with everything Sutton has done and said and questioned. Yeah. I guess in my opinion, I don't necessarily feel like cowardice is the most accurate word. I just, I don't, I understand if she's upset, but I don't find Sutton's behavior to be consistent with that of a coward. If anything, I could agree with Erica that, you know, potentially some of the way she's approaching this has to do with that like whole Southern small town reputation roots that she was talking about. I could see that. But on a side note for a second, it's really crazy the way that Erica, in my opinion's demeanor changes when she's around Kyle and Rinna, which you can tell she feels like inherently safe. And so not that I ever really think Erica's guard is completely down. However, the level in which her guard has lowered with just the two of them as compared to the rest of the group, to me, it's unbelievable. It's night and day. And something I was thinking about watching the scene where Erica is calling her a coward was something you said last week, which is the huge element that we can't mention is it's not necessarily about quote unquote reputation around town. It's about being on a show together and the association that naturally comes from that when you're listing out the cast members and they're saying the plot line of the season is what's going on. And someone posted an article today, I don't know if it's actually true or not, but that there that Lisa Rinna maybe could be questioned because of something that happened on the show and some like these were all legitimate questions that Sutton had. I know we went through this already and I just still feel it's really true, but I think Erica was her perspective was this is such an outdated point of view to think oh everyone around town is caring about me. And by the way, it's not like they live in the middle of nowhere. They literally live in Beverly Hills. Like there are way bigger things going on and I could see from her perspective how she's like why is she making this such a big thing and why is she making this about her? But it's not just about around town and it's not just about the legal. It's about being housewives and what could potentially come from that and also how that makes it you look and how that changes the definition of being a housewife of Beverly Hills for this particular season. Totally. And she couldn't say that, which I'm sure is frustrating for all of them. But um, also just side point to what you just said about Rena, I was looking into that because I was curious. And I guess you know one of the lawyers in charge of investigating Erica was saying that they really would love to bring Rena in for questioning. However, they even said in the statement that like allowing that to actually happen would probably be very hard. Like they they think that the possibility of that would be unlikely. Totally. But even for someone like Sutton, the fact that that would even be brought up is probably very scary to her. It's probably scary to Rinna. I, I don't think she has anything to hide necessarily, but still that is considered somehow being dragged into this legally. And when you have a lot of assets to protect and you don't want to get involved in something like this, it makes perfect sense. Oh, of course. No, I agree. I'm just saying as a completely side note, in case anybody was curious, the most recent thing I read said that although the lawyer wants that to happen, the chances of it happening are probably unlikely. Oh, too bad for us. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This party, 
It's so underrated how Crystal says that in non-COVID time, she's throwing other people's events twice a week at her home. Like that is clearly one of her love languages. And that's unbelievable. When she was saying twice a, and then there was like a little gap, I think I was expecting her to say a year or a month. When she said a week, I was like, a week? Oh my God. I mean, I love a party, but that's like a lot of work. Rena is right. She started this company at the worst possible time. (laughs) At least she just admits it. And not only was it at a time when people weren't wearing any makeup or not going out and not necessarily spending money on things that weren't essential, but specifically your lips. Like everyone was in a mask. I just, I feel so bad because it's really raining on her parade in a way, but this was a long time coming and I'm just glad it was cute. Yeah. You could probably make an argument that even though in general, I would say the makeup sales probably went down, that people would maybe be more inclined to buy eye products because they felt like they wanted to enhance it since the only visible feature. Like I could honestly understand that argument if you were coming out with like an eyeshadow palette, but lips, you really just got slammed both ways. (laughs) Totally. Before we get into the actual sit down, it cannot be lost on us when Erica orders the no apology drinks and it switches directly to Garcelle in that gorgeous red outfit in her confessional, saying that that was not a coincidence. Just pick a different drink. (laughs) You know, like you just are setting it up for yourself at that point. Okay, let's get into this sit down and the Dorit Garcelle element. And I guess my goal in this is I want to try to talk about it a little bit more analytically and not just say, what the fuck was Doree thinking in the way that she went about it? Because I do think it can be analyzed. It's just so hard to not want to start out with the overarching point of like, she could not have handled this worse, in my opinion. I don't know if you feel the same way. It's just a classic example of why wouldn't you bring this up one-on-one? Like She waited to sit down, have an audience. She thought about what she was going to say. She had the examples down to a science, bulleted list, alphabetical order of what she wanted to bring up to Garcelle. And Garcelle is not the person that you want to really fuck with like that because she just doesn't have the tolerance for bullshit and she can defend herself really well. And I think she kind of sees through Dorit and also not for nothing, doesn't really care that much about what Dorit says, but she cares more about the assassination of her character and also the bringing up of that Palm Springs bullshit, which we spoke about this at length. Like Dorit kept trying to make that happen and be like, well, why would you do it? That's not a good friend. You know, she asked you not to do it. And we're like, Dorit, she never fucking said that. How many times can we repeat it? Just because you keep bringing it up doesn't make it true. Right. It's like, stop trying to make fetch happen. Literally stop trying to make fetch happen. No, I felt the exact same way. I mean, there there was so much here because the kind of irony about this whole thing, and I think the brilliance of Garcelle that she just did naturally, she wasn't trying to make it happen in this way. This is just genuinely how she felt. So she said it. It's like, here Dorit thinks that she is coming with this beautiful, as you said, curated alphabetical list of all of the examples that she has. And I think she thought, you know, I'm going to really just nail it into her. And Garcelle's response One, she did acknowledge that those things did happen, but in her response, it just highlighted one of Dorit's biggest flaws that everybody has already acknowledged. So like the way that it backfired on her in a way that wasn't mean-spirited, it was just like, hey, those things did happen. You are totally right. However, the reasoning for that is because you simply cannot speak your words in any sort of a concise manner. And Dorit has nothing to say to that because everybody has already made that point. So it was just kind of, if I was Garcelle, 
I'm walking out of there feeling real good because the point was almost made for her. And she immediately had backup, regardless if they said anything or not. These, This is a fight that these women have all had with her individually already. So it's like we as viewers and Dorit all know that this bothers them or has bothered them really badly at some point to the point of getting in a fight with her about it. So it's like Garcelle's backup is automatically there if they say anything or not. It was just interesting to me because Dorit kept trying to say, if you have a problem with me, say it to my face. Bring it up to me. Don't do it in these jabs. And really, when you look back at these, quote, jabs, most of the time, it's not like snarky comments. It is Garcelle trying to prompt her to get to the point or to say the truth or to be truthful or say things in a more concise way so that everyone understands her. It's not jabs at her character or making fun of her by any means. And it was just interesting that Dorit was saying, be truthful to me. And when you look back, it's literally Garcelle being very truthful is what she's mad about. Right. And Dorit just doesn't want to hear it. And, And again, the other thing that I think is so funny about this in kind of an ironic way is that I think the way that Garcelle was going about it actually in her mind was doing Dorit a favor at the time. Like all of those instances, she didn't want to say, can you just fucking spit it out? Like she was trying to actually be gracious about it. Whereas if you want her to be truthful, okay, let her be truthful. She'll say to you exactly what Kyle said to you at the table. Dorit didn't really understand what she was walking into. And I also want to say that you're right. This is the prime example of something that could have and should have gone down one-on-one, obviously for our sakes, like it was probably better television that it didn't. But when she starts bringing up the Kyle thing, even before we get into the Erica thing, because I know that you and I both have strong feelings on that, like you could tell that she was fully expecting that maybe Kyle was going to then jump in or that this was going to be an attack ourselves thing. And nobody was down for that to happen because I think everybody could acknowledge that like out of the two of them, Dorit was just more in the wrong. Yeah, there was no fight for anyone to even choose a side. It was Dorit saying you've had a really obnoxious, rude tone with me when you make these jabs over the months and I'm noticing it and I am calling it today that I've noticed it and it needs to be over. That doesn't affect anyone else really and doesn't really seem like something that they noticed or necessarily care about in a way. These things felt like jabs to Dorit, but I think to other people sitting at the table, it just felt like Garcelle holding her accountable and saying, that's not what you said last week or you would never say that. Don't say you would back up Sutton. Like there's no way on earth you would do that. She doesn't love Dorit. Fine. That's not, that's fair. Like they're housewives. They don't have to be friends. It's not a big deal. She is just holding Dorit accountable in these situations that are already high intensity and tense and Dorit can't get to the point. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the entire thing, in my opinion, was like relatively lacking substance mm-hmm. like on Dorit's end. And obviously Garcelle was just responding to that. But the point when it escalated, like you said earlier, is when Dorit brings up the Erica thing, because that takes away the semantics. That is a direct character assassination. And also this is a trend that we see not just in Housewives, but throughout reality television, where it's like, if the person that was upset is no longer upset and has forgiven the person in question, why are you still mad? It's very similar to that shit that Wendy pulled in that one episode of Potomac when, you know, she was kind of upset on Giselle's behalf over the conversation with Mia where Giselle wasn't mad at the time. I know that's like a small example, but 
it, it really frustrates me when that happens because that was so intensely emotional for Garcelle and her and Erica have worked through it. And so like if Erica's no longer upset and Garcelle has finally started to get past it, that was just, I'm sorry, that was a low move. It, it wasn't, it was not chill of Dory to do. Even with the Kyle thing to say, I know you've had issues with Kyle, like it, trying to make it like, oh, well, everyone's had issues with you. The same thing goes both ways. And that kind of came up when the thing about her be- talking so much came to be because it's like, wait a minute, we've all also had conflicts with you about that and with other things. So don't try and bring up Kyle and Garcelle when they've sat down, worked through it, and are actually really in a good place and are friends at this point. So it's not fair to do not just to Garcelle, but to your friend, Kyle. I was about to say that. I was thinking that as well. If I was Kyle, I don't know if I would have been pissed necessarily because you could understand that Dory was kind of just grasping at straws there, but I wouldn't have been thrilled. Like they had a really genuine conversation where they sat down and it it was, you know, it wasn't about a stupid issue. Like Garcelle explained to her the root of why what she said was racially motivated and Kyle was so understanding and they like got through it. I mean, even Garcelle said she felt like Kyle heard her. And I think Kyle felt like so appreciative that Garcelle came to her and explained it to her. And like they worked past it. So it was just, it was, I don't know if it was because she recognized slash the producers recognized that she was having a relatively non-existent season or she really thought that she could handle this one, but the whole thing was off. And then I agree with Heather Dubrow, what she said on chat room tonight, like to use the word bully as freely as some of these housewives do is just bullshit, quite frankly. And it's actually an insult to people that have experienced real bullying. But this was a perfect example. Like Garcelle said it perfectly. You can't be the bully when you are not the one instigating. Everything that happened here was reactive. (laughs) The way you just said, quite frankly, was like a Viva Dresser. You're both white (laughs) trash, quite frankly. She didn't come to Jaree and try and make a problem or make fun of her or anything, put her in a negative position. She's simply reacting to what's in front of her. And most of the time, Garcelle's just trying to direct Dorit's rants in a more truthful direction or in a way calling her out. And that's not bullying. That's honestly just being truthful and pushing the truth and also in the end helping Dorit's case to not look like she's two-faced and also to really spit out her point eventually. I also wanted to read this tweet that I saw from this woman I follow, Ray Sani. She's the host of the Dizziest Bitch at the Table podcast. And she tweeted and said, white women love the word bully when black women are direct. I have a lifetime of experience, I swear to God. And I wanted to mention that because I was really appreciative of that perspective. If I'm going to be totally honest, when I saw this scene for the first time, I obviously recognized how out of line Dory was, but I don't think I thought of it in those terms, which makes sense. I, I haven't had that experience. And so once I read that and once I read some other things, I understood how there was that element to it that I hadn't, honestly, if I'm going to be super transparent, I hadn't previously thought of. I now get, but I feel like we should mention that. Totally. I also saw a lot of people saying, and a minute later, Erica is cursing and yelling at Sutton and doing all this behavior that maybe more aligns with bullying and nobody said a word. So I feel like that has to be added when we have this conversation. If you're Dorit, you're not going to win this one. Not only this one, but probably in general, because Garcelle at her core is so much more of a straight shooter and so much more of a real talker in the way that she communicates. And it's such an attractive quality. Like I think that's one of the reasons that the viewers have just fallen in love with her. And so Dorit, who I'm not saying that she's a liar, but she's a little bit more wishwashy and she's a little bit can appear cowardly at times. And obviously she takes fucking forever to say it. Like, I just think in the eyes of the public, 
the way that Garcelle handles things is going to be more favorable in this type of an argument. And so I personally, in this fight, not even that fight, in this discussion, I'm team Garcelle, although I love Dorit. I just think they have absolute polar opposite communication styles. Dorit circles the drain in like until the cows come home and Garcelle is whatever the exact opposite of that is. So I get how they don't see eye to eye, but yeah. Garcelle, you win in my book. Game over. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. Mine too. Although honorable mention to Dorit's Dior saddlebag. Oh my God. Stunning. I still love her as a person. She's a great follow on Instagram. I think she's a really good housewife. This was just not her moment and that's okay. You know, did you see the tweet this, this week that was like, I sometimes leave social situations thinking, wasn't my best work. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> that's that's how Dorit should have felt that night. You know, just wasn't her best work. Yeah. It, it was also though, like kind of the meme of like, wow, she really thinks she did something there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> also, I saw a, uh, I, th- I guess it was a tweet. I don't know where it was that somebody said like, regardless of whose side you were on in this conversation, you have to at least appreciate how unbelievably beautiful the camera work was. Oh my God, what a stunning episode. They all look beautiful. The background was beautiful. Also, it was Delia Kai who said that. Thank you so much. You really set the scene for Dorit this week. Okay. Other th- major thing that happened here is Erica. Wait, and- no, 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 no. It wasn't major. It literally was like a drive-by shooting. <laughs> Wait, did you hear Portia on chat room? What? She was like... Listen, in my entire time in my show, I have probably dropped the motherfucker line directly to somebody twice. She was like, and Erica just casually drops this at this luncheon. Is she okay? And they ask Heather Dubrow. Yes. Mel and Portia ask Heather if she's ever said it. Heather's like, I don't even think I've ever said it in my own life. Yes. And then she said it for the first time. It probably felt really freeing. But this was just crazy because you would expect that this would become sort of the center of attention. I really thought at that point that the Garcelle-Dorit thing was going to be pushed aside and that this would sort of start snowballing and it would get bigger and everyone would get involved. It literally happened like five back and forths and then next it was over. And then it was back to Garcelle and it was so crazy. (laughs) Right? Like I literally felt like someone smacked me in the face. It was just a, such a clear example of Erica was going to get this point across to Sutton if if her life depended on it. There was no way that she was going to leave this luncheon. It didn't have to be this luncheon. That she was going to leave her p- first interaction with Sutton post finding out what she found out and also post Kyle's dinner and not just give it to her in this exact way. So I don't think she gave a shit how it came across or how poorly timed it was or how kind of out of left field it was. She wanted to call Sutton's track a motherfucker and she was damn well going to do it. And to us, I think we were all like, what just happened? I have whiplash. She was the definition of a bear just waiting to be poked because it did not take her less than one millisecond for Sutton to even utter one breath for her to launch right into it. Like she was sitting there just boiling over, like steam was probably coming out of her ears. And the second that she had an in or the second that she even looked at or addressed Sutton, it was like game over. There was no easing into it. It just, it just was like, bam. It kind of made me a little bit sad, not in the moment, but when I was thinking about it after, about like 
if you remember earlier in the season when Sutton took Erica to that spa day and we were saying that they were clearly connecting one because of their Southern roots and also because, you know, Sutton had been through a very high level divorce. And we said like, she almost has with Erica a similar energy to the way that Giselle is with Ashley. Like there's just something where she finds a sense of connectivity given what she's going through. And like, clearly that was short-lived, understandably so, but (laughs) it was kind of like nice the way they were momentarily. Oh my God. It's nice to reminisce, but you know, it's very different now. Yeah. Whole different world. Okay. This Kyle and Kathy thing, honest to God, no bullshit. I found it to be so emotional. I was very not okay. It was deep. I mean, they weren't sugarcoating things here. No. And this is a topic that we've all been wondering about for so long, ever since it all went down. We've heard a lot about their family dynamics from Kim and from Kyle mostly through the years. We saw her live through the American woman era of not speaking to Kathy, being on rocky terms with Kim, and not really understanding why or how it went down. And honestly, hearing it from Kyle's perspective, not really getting how this could be so detrimental to their family. But then when you hear how Kathy is thinking about it and how she felt it went and how she kind of responded to it, it all sort of just makes sense. And to see their relationship and their communication now, the place that it's in, it's great because they were talking about really like difficult, sensitive things and they clearly don't see eye to eye to this day, but they've just moved past it. And I think they realize that their relationship is bigger than any of these issues that they possibly have had. Yeah. I mean, it was like the best possible outcome. Honestly, in terms of the actual content, there's just no way that I would ever like kind of give an opinion one way or another because if I were them and some random girl was giving an opinion on like the way that I portrayed my mom or what went on, I would fucking lose it. So I don't know what went on there. The one thing that I will say that I picked up just kind of on a more general level is that you notice when Kathy said to her, it really put mom in a bad light. And Kyle was confused by that because she said the entire thing was basically a love letter to mom. And then Kathy clarifies that it wasn't the film that put her in a bad light minus you know that one scene or another scene. It was more so the way that everybody started to talk about it and kind of people love drama. And that one little interaction made me think, I have to imagine that part of what happened during their fights is that I think some things may have been lost in translation because I know a few episodes ago, Kyle was kind of laughing at the way that Kathy communicates in shorthand. And obviously that's like a huge part of her personality. But I think also, at least when I was watching this, there were moments where I was confused as to what she was saying. And once she clarified it, it actually was not nearly as combative as what I initially thought. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just think a lot of it was straightforward communication issues and them being really set in their ways and not seeing the other side or how anyone could see it differently than them. Yeah. I think that if you were watching this and you've ever in your own family, like even not your nuclear family, but your extended family witnessed a situation where siblings or you know people close to each other weren't talking and then they look back on that time with such a sense of regret, I can imagine it being emotional for you as it was for me of kind of like, there's one thing in life we can't get back and that's time. And so it's just such um I don't know. It's kind of like a perspective check, you know, not that you should ever allow yourself to stay in a toxic situation. However, I do think there's so much truth to like really trying everything so that not talking for 10 years isn't an option. Yes. It's so true. Yeah. Anything else that we should mention from this episode? No, it was a great episode. Not as intense as the others, but I'm also happy that we're giving sort of the other group dynamics a little bit of attention because it was a very Erica heavy last couple of weeks. And I, based on the 
previews for the next episode, it's going to be a lot more coming. I was thrilled that it wasn't that intense because it's exhausting to not be able to just watch Housewives and talk about the fights as they appear. Like what we were basically doing, not just us, everybody watching with the Erica stuff is you're actively trying to decipher if what she's saying is true or false. And like, that's fun for a little bit, but then it kind of becomes exhausting. So this was good old fashioned housewives fighting. And that I feel very qualified for even without any sort of a legal degree. What a relief. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car, like a legendary Camry. Built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. This was a really good episode of Potomac, I thought. Really good. I also, we will get into this, but... Even when the Giselle and Karen stuff gets so intense and clearly there's some like very deeply rooted stuff, to me, there's always this air of a levity towards it because I just know that so much of it is like performative from almost a comedic perspective. I think they really don't like each other, but I also think they kind of get a kick out of it. And it's also very entertaining for them to go back and forth because as serious as Karen kind of tries to make it, They know that this is all surface bullshit, so it's not that deep, and it's a little bit more of like a fun thing. Like I think they literally view it as a game of ping pong. Yeah, I think also what I was thinking about after watching it, and I think I maybe had this thought when I saw that Karen was on chat room, it's like even if they don't like each other as people, I think they can respect each other as like reality television stars. Like you may disagree with everything Giselle does. However, you can understand why she has a reality TV presence. And so almost from like a colleague's perspective, I feel like it's like, you know what? You make good TV. I make good TV and I can give you that. I almost feel like it's when <laughs> the the agents on Million Dollar Listing used to like fucking hate each other, like Frederick and Luis and even Flag and Altman. Now they're all really good friends, ironically, but they used to fucking hate each other, but they also knew that they were selling real estate at the same level and they were their main competitors. So they could appreciate that about them and knew like, okay, I got to level up. I got to be on his level, even though they despised each other. Totally. Like at a certain point, it's not even personal. Right. Okay. So I know last week we spoke about how the way that Giselle handled that with Robin, even though Robin seemed to be unaffected or unbothered because clearly they have that type of relationship. I think us as like the public were really thrown off by it. And so I was glad to see that they go privately to kind of continue to talk about it. And I was really hoping that what Giselle would say, I would be able to kind of get more on board with. And I do genuinely believe that when it comes to Robin, her heart is in the right place. I think she loves her, cares for her and wants what's best for her. Like I believe her intentions are completely pure. However, what I said last week, it still stands of like, 
Juan's happiness is still the number one focus here, or kind of like Juan being on this pedestal. And even if that's not how she really feels, that is the way that she's communicating it. I know. I think it's just kind of how she's programmed and how she thinks she should be giving advice to Robin. This whole thing was just weird. Like it didn't feel necessary to get up from the meal to have this conversation right then and there. But I'm glad that they did because it was kind of weird that Giselle went around the table and she didn't spare Robin. Like, I don't think she should have, but I think from Robin's point of view, it might've been like, wait a minute, like we are closer than this. It wasn't even that she didn't spare her necessarily. It was that the way she approached it just seemed to lack so much support. It was Mm -hmm. like, there was so much judgment. And I, I felt like in this conversation, I guess there was less judgment, but still it was like, you can't have your fine husband. It's like, okay, yeah, but also let's forget about her fine husband for a quarter of a second. Like this is clearly a woman that's going through it mentally. Like, can we focus on that? And I, I don't know. It, everybody communicates things in a different way. I guess I was maybe projecting a little of like how I would have felt if I was getting that advice or that perspective from my friends. And I don't think that I personally would have responded well to it. I don't think I would have either, but I could give Giselle the benefit of the doubt in saying, maybe this is the way I need to motivate Robin because clearly the money isn't getting her out of bed. Her kids, you know, their whole school situation isn't getting her out of bed. Like, what can I do to really kind of light a fire under her? Robin basically admits that she has a lot of PTSD from when they lost so much money in that scam and that there's a part of her that's scared to fall hard again. I have witness that with people in my own life where the idea of success, although on one hand it's exciting, it's also terrifying because the bigger you are, the harder you fall. And so I just feel like it was so important that she said that because it added a really important perspective that we may not have forgotten, but not have had in the forefront of our minds. Like, you know, we see how well she's doing and it's like, that's in the past. But when you have trauma from something, it's never fully in the past. And this is how it's rearing its head. And like, I just don't think it can be ignored. No, and I thought that was really self-aware and also very blunt and honest to admit about herself because you can't imagine why would you not want to work hard? Why would you not want your business to be in TJ Maxx and all of these other things? And it totally made sense. Okay. Ashley's arrival. Okay. Let me tell you something. Yeah. Ashley motherfucking Darby woke up that morning and like chose violence. She said, I'm going to drive my little ass down to Williamsburg. I'm going to fuck shit up and I'm going to get home in time to put my kids to bed. And that is exactly what she did. And it was executed perfectly. I also just want to give a moment of recognition to Candace's confessionals this episode. They've been amazing all season and we've really kind of applauded how how different she is and just how level-headed and funny and just we feel a transition from her and her confessionals in this episode, especially because she wasn't really involved in any of the drama were so fucking funny. Yeah. She was killing it. And I think honestly, you know, when you are the center of the drama for such a large portion of the season, on one hand, you love it because all housewives love the most filming time. However, it's exhausting. Like sometimes you just don't want it to be your shit that everybody is talking about. And so you can have this kind of persona of like the hilarious commentator when it doesn't run so deep because it's not about you and it's not about, you know, you getting physically assaulted. Like this is child's play for her. Right. And hers wasn't the fun kind of attention. Like she was getting just so much bad airtime really and it was probably really painful to live through and watch on camera. Listen, 
I wasn't a huge Candace fan last season, and I'm starting to slowly come around. Yep. This episode definitely added a bunch of points. Okay. Ashley and Giselle in the room. This is the epitome of the seed planting behavior that we consistently discuss. (laughs) Well, keep in mind, Karen got to Ashley first because Giselle's in the pool doing her aerobics. So Ashley first gets the story from Karen. And as much as she loves and trusts Karen, she basically said like when it comes to Karen and her own shit, she sometimes, you know, can change the story. And we've seen it time and time again. Yeah, which, by the way, is not completely untrue, and the same could be said for any of them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you want to twist it a little bit, and your own kind of emotions play into that, all housewives. But when Ashley basically says to Giselle that, you know, Karen told her that Wendy cried in her arms in the morning, and Giselle's immediate reaction is like, that has nothing to do with me. That's clearly her own bullshit. And as I quote, that was not what last night was about. I don't know what Karen's talking about, but I'm beginning to feel like maybe the rumors online about Eddie, maybe that might be driving her to show the people I'm in this hot, sexy space with my husband. I think she has made up her mind that this is what's going on. Like nothing anyone could say at this point moving forward could change her mind. Like she has this narrative drilled in her brain and she's looking for any way to kind of bring it up and make it look like Wendy is going down the same path that she has in her mind. Oh, this is perfectly said. It's a prime example of somebody that like does not even want to listen to what else could be going on because this is the story that she is sticking to. And not only is she sticking to it, she wants it to then be known by the rest of the group. And it's just like, it's why she's a good housewife, but it was very frustrating. Right. And the other thing, which we can get into, but I'm sorry, the fact that this conversation happened almost directly after the conversation with Robin and with the underlying tone of like everything that has gone down with Jamal and her conversation with her dad that we saw last season, it's like the real common thread here is that unfortunately, and it makes me very sad, I I don't say this with any judgment, I just think it's a fair observation, Giselle's view of a relationship between a man and a woman and kind of like her perception, I think, of men in general, despite having such a phenomenal relationship with her dad, is a little bit skewed. And it lacks, in my opinion, it lacks like putting as the woman your self-respect first. And I know all these situations are different, but you can weave that thread throughout all of it. It's an issue within herself in the way that she believes that you know, in a heterosexual relationship, the woman should like operate and kind of tend to the man. And I, I do not think that her pinning this entire transformation that Wendy has gone through as a, you know, reasoning being her insecure because of something with her husband doesn't fall so outside of that. I think it's all on the same mind track. I just can't get over that Giselle of all people, like even more than Ashley has had more articles written about her and about the cheating that's gone on in her relationship. Like, I just can't believe, I mean, I can believe, but it's just when you really like zoom out on the scenario that she of all people is the one who's kind of waging this war against making sure everyone agrees that Wendy is quote changing because of this one cheating rumor when her husband, ex-husband has so many confirmed things that are like in theory, much worse. I mean, it's just it's just crazy to me. It's it is crazy to me. And it just, you know, that's why we get frustrated with her, even though we appreciate her as a housewife. And I honestly do like her. It's like the lack of 
personal acknowledgement in it is just frustrating. Like it's something that Ashley would never pull is the best way I can put it. Oh my God, never. It's like what we said last week when she's allowed to go around the table and ask everyone questions. And then she has that cheap answer of like, I'm not saying anything in front of Karen. And, and later has the audacity to say like, I think Ashley or whoever said it, like Ashley should be the one to bring it up because, you know, she's been through this before and she knows what it's like. And it's like, you know what? Giselle has too. Right. But the difference is that Giselle has gone through it being defensive the entire time, whereas Ashley has gone through it and actually like spoken about it in a way that just feels so much more authentic. So I just love Ashley still. Like I just will never get over her. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk. I know a lot of this lunch centered around Wendy and Giselle and like they kind of have this moment where Wendy explains to her that the lacking substance comment really got to her and Giselle apologizes. Wendy thinks it's bullshit, whatever. I want to talk about Mia for a second. Is that okay with you? Yeah. I came into this season really liking her and it's not that I dislike her, but similar to what I just said with Giselle, everything she was saying here was a projection and it was so unfair to put that on Wendy. And I want to read this one common exchange that I saw on her page. So she posted on her Instagram the night of the episode, a tweet that she had written that said, I know, right? Watching the playback got me like self-talk 101. Mia, your past traumas were to prepare you for your future purpose, empowerment. At Wendy looks good. And what's most important is she's full and confident. Hashtag growth. And somebody commented and said, I'm all for better energy. Hats off, Mia. But Wendy has issues and all that body fixing isn't going to fix that. But that's not their place to figure it out. She says, I agree. I know I inflict pain and continue to go under the knife as a deflection of addressing the real issue. You are right. It's not our place to try to fix her or cast judgment. I was wrong. Didn't we meet Mia the first episode listing all the things that she's had done? Right. So the reason that I found that interesting is because on one hand, I like disagreed with it of like, you, you cannot make that assertion for somebody else. I just don't think that that's fair. I actually think that it's like, there's a side to me that almost, it almost feels a little bit anti-feminist to do so that like you are assuming that her change to her body is because of these reasons that you're listing. Like, I don't like that. So for her to make that assertion, even if it's coming from a good place, I don't like, however, I like that in that same breath, she says, I know I inflict pain and continue to go under the knife as a deflection of addressing the real issue. So this was the first time that she said that because think about, like you said, all of the procedures she's spoken about. I don't think she's ever said to the women or in her confessional what she just said in that comment. Am I wrong? No, I don't think she has either. And that to me just makes it even more upsetting of like how she was coming after Wendy at this lunch and overall not really supporting her. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It really bothered me because it's like, if you, it's, it takes a certain type of growth when like you are hurting and you see that same potential hurt in somebody else to like support them through it instead of being so unwilling to acknowledge your own publicly that you come at them as a defense. And it just, it's not right. It's not fair. It's not fair to Wendy. Even if what she's saying is actually accurate, it wasn't right to do. I don't agree with the way that Wendy went about it either, but I felt really in this portion of the episode, I really felt for her. I did too. I hope that now that Mia gets to watch it back and really see how it goes on and also have these conversations on social, that at the reunion, when this inevitably will be a huge topic, she'll be able to either retract what she said or say it in a little bit of a better way that will make her point clearer and also a little bit softer. Yeah, completely. When they're talking about the interaction between Karen and Wendy and Wendy's kind of just pouring her heart out to the group about how what Karen said really helped her. And Giselle in her confessionals like, 
listen, Wendy, don't fall for this bullshit. She pulled the same thing with, you know, Candace, she has nothing for you. What was your response to that? I just think it's wrong. Can't there's it's a two way street here. It wasn't just Karen turned on them, you know, lured them in to be like they're under her wing and then and then turned on them. Like things happened along the way. And I do think like we felt last week, Karen was so genuine in that moment with Wendy. And regardless of what happens after, she made Wendy feel so much better in that moment and really uplifted her and said all the right things that it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't have to all be such an elaborate plan. She was a a girlfriend, a mom figure in that moment. And who are you to judge that? Like you're literally, you're just jealous. So, so interesting because I fully felt that same way. But on top of it, I was surprised. I knew that Giselle was going to call bullshit on that, even though I disagree with her. However, I'm surprised that that was her angle of calling bullshit of like, oh, don't fall into that trap. She pulls that maternal stuff with everybody. I thought her angle and her confessional was going to be like, oh, please, Wendy, you know that she's just doing that because it's coming against me and she'll do anything to come against me. So the fact that she took it that way, I just, I don't know if I was necessarily expecting that. No, definitely. It could have gone both ways. And she probably just picked which was a better argument. Okay. So one thing about me, I'm going to get my food delivered. It kind of just falls under the general umbrella of convenience, which as we know is a core principle of my life. And I've been a DoorDash user for a while now, as I'm sure many of you are, but I specifically want to talk to you about DashPass because it's kind of really the way you get the most from delivery, which as a side note, if you use code CBC24, you can get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. But let's zoom in for a second on what DashPass is. Basically, it's the most affordable way to get anything in your area delivered to your door. So it's helping you save money and time with every DoorDash order. And number one, $0 delivery fees and lower service fees on eligible orders. So it makes it really easy to save on groceries, retail items, restaurants, all of your local favorites that deliver on DoorDash. And then this is the thing that really sold me. DashPass pays for itself on average in two orders. So it makes delivery even more worth it. Plus, DashPass gives you special access to exclusive promotions, member-only menu items, all for only $9.99 a month. Get more from delivery for less. Sign up for DashPass today only on DoorDash. Use code CBC24 and get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. Subject to change, terms apply. Not that this episode was lacking drama in the slightest. However, this moment is really when shit hit the fan because you knew that once Ashley pulled Wendy aside and she was going to be the messenger for this article that it was about to blow up. There was no world in which it didn't. You could feel the tension rising as the whiskey kept flowing. And honestly, I felt like this episode was three hours long. In the best way possible. In the best way possible. It just was 10 episodes packed in one. I'm going to read you exactly what Ashley said to Wendy because it's. I think that some of the words used are really important. She says, Giselle told me how there's this fabricated article about Eddie having an affair or whatever. This has been discussed if this is one of the reasons why you're stepping into being more sexual because you're showing people obviously there's no truth to that. Ashley using the word fabricated. She is trying to position herself so like, why would you be mad at me? I told you we all think it's fake. And also the, this has been discussed. Mm -hmm. Like not me and Giselle discussed this. This whole thing just reads, it's not my first fucking rodeo. Yeah. And it's like, okay, here's my thing. From Giselle's perspective, 
I think she's full of shit of putting it on Ashley, even though Ashley was more than happy to do it. Like, I, I don't believe Giselle, like, you know, Ashley's the better one to handle it. Like, no, you just want her to do your dirty work. However, if I'm Ashley, I do get why I would feel that somebody I'm talking to about this particular thing would like maybe be more receptive to me because I have been through this exact thing of somebody bringing up an article to me on the show. So like, I, I did get that she was a little bit thrown off by Wendy's response in a way. And overall, comparatively speaking, Ashley does usually have better delivery. She has a little bit of like a more understanding, less like defensive attack mode. And I, if I was picking, I would pick Ashley. I just think the overall idea of any of it was so fucking annoying to Wendy. And then on top of it to feel like Giselle was sending Ashley to do her dirty work and she's so over Giselle already. It was like, oh my God, what, how much worse could this get? Yes. <laughs> Narrator, so much worse. <laughs> Narrator, you haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, let's really break this down because Wendy's entire response here is basically like, I read so much about you and your husband, about Giselle, so many evil things about Robin, but you guys chose to bring up a thing about me and my husband. That speaks about your character. If that's what we're doing, let's have at it. So if we want to give a really reductive summary here, we know that Wendy thinks that Giselle is sleazy and we know that she thinks she's calculated and she's not a fan of her, or she's starting to believe that all of the things that have been said about her were true. However, in this moment, what she is the most upset about is that they are bringing this up, let's just call it like it is, on the show. Yes, and I think this is the moment that the light bulb goes off of what we've been talking about because we got to watch it from our perspective of, oh, Giselle has been planting the seed the whole time and has this whole narrative about me that I'm changing my body and becoming so sexy because Eddie's cheating on me and I don't want these rumors to seem true and I want like this whole web that we have felt Giselle spinning and sort of pushing everyone else to buy into and kind of making it seem like there's no way it couldn't be true. This is when Wendy is like, okay, now I'm sort of in on it as well. Yeah, this is when it clicked for her. And so, right, it, it has been building. And I think it, it also you know, can't be lost on us that the last few days in Virginia have definitely not been good for their dynamic. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying she wouldn't have reacted like this regardless. However, like, she was very deeply hurt by Giselle. It wasn't just like she had a little bit of bad blood. Like she genuinely was, I think, honestly, like deeply offended and bothered by some of the things that Giselle said. So she already was operating from a place of emotion. Like it just wasn't going to end well, like you said. But this is, to me, this one line is so representative of everybody's biggest frustration with Giselle. When Wendy comes in and says, let's be very clear, don't attack my husband. And Giselle's first response is, why are you looking at me? Oh my God. Like, come on. No. Don't don't insult us with thinking that 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 you are really gonna ask that. That's what everyone was basically saying was Giselle has this way of saying so much shit, saying things and knowing that she said them. And then as soon as anyone brings up the fact that she said them or asks her about it, she's like, What? What are you talking about? Like, why are you asking me that? And it's like you literally said that. Like, you have to own it. You're on camera. <laughs> I can't. It's almost, if it wasn't so frustrating, it would almost be laughable. Or like, it would almost be admirable the level of completely backtracking on what just happened. So then imagine how Wendy must feel or any of them that have to deal with this. It was kind of like 
everything that Wendy, like we said, had been hearing about Giselle was coming to fruition in this one moment. And you're right. She was having a come to Jesus moment. She says, you know, fuck the cameras. Like that's when you know that bravo, 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 like shit is about to go down. But do you think that the reaction was justified based on the conversation with Ashley? So I do think Wendy came in hot. Like she almost like, like what we were saying about Erica and Sutton, how it was like you poked a bear. You could tell that her anger and frustration with Giselle was already so there between the dinner the night before and the lunch that day. Like she already had had enough with Giselle. And I think this just sent her over the edge. And like, if it was just solely this conversation with Ashley, no, I don't think, I don't think it would have been equal. But when you add up all the shit that's been going on this whole trip and the things Giselle has been saying and accusing and asking in front of this whole group, I think she was like, okay, this is enough. Now you're bringing up my husband. Like you've already brought up my looks. You brought up my substance and education. And now you're going after rumors about my husband. Like I I get it. She was fucking pissed. I get it. No, I so get it. I really do. Especially because like there is almost nothing more frustrating than when you are coming at somebody so hard for things that are so real. And then the person is acting with this demeanor of like, oh my God, what is she so upset about? It's like, we're not talking about this one particular thing. We're talking about the fact that I'm onto your bigger plan. And so you can't boil this down to the conversation that just took place with Ashley because that was not Wendy's reaction. Wendy was realizing the magnitude of all of this. And she's right. Now everybody's talking about it. Like, in a way, you can't fault them for bringing it up because it is a show. Like, I, I don't think that, I mean, do you think I'm wrong in thinking that Candace's coming for Ashley in the kitchen was like unfair? I don't know what made that happen, but I think Candace was pissed. Like, you came in here, you stirred shit up. Why was it necessary to do that? I think she wants to defend her friend. And I get it. And she just is annoyed with Ashley overall. And this is just like another reminder of what she did to her last year. But I have to go back to what you just said about Giselle acting like, what's the big deal? I think she really uses that as her way to get out of things and also kind of make it seem like she has the upper hand in these situations that she's creating in a way to, is to be like, what, like make you feel like you're crazy. Like it's very gaslighty to be like, what's the big deal? Why are you upset? Like, what are you even talking about? And Wendy knows that it's bullshit and she's so upset and can't get past it. And I think Giselle thinks that it makes herself look better when it really doesn't. No, exactly. It it doesn't. What she was trying to do was like a very common tactic that I think people use on reality TV a lot of like, okay, if I really downplay it in the moment and also in my confessional, like the audience will think that the contrast in our reactions just proves that she was out of line. Yeah. And and that I'm like being calm and cool when it comes to this quote argument, but it wasn't an argument. It was like a direct attack on Wendy. So of course she's going to be more upset. But it wasn't, take away a direct attack on Wendy. It wasn't even that. It was a master manipulation of a plot line that she was trying to infuse. So like, and listen, again, that's why she makes good TV. Like, was this a phenomenal fucking scene? Yeah, was Robin drunk and spilling the whiskey on the couch and then she gets into it? Like, it was amazing television. I wouldn't trade it for the world. However, like, don't, it's almost honestly, as the viewer, it's like, do you think that we are that stupid? Like, I would respect you so much more if you said, yeah, I fucking lit that match and (laughs) let's see what happens. The one problem I had in this whole thing though was, and I wish she didn't do this and I think watching it back, she'll agree, is that Wendy went low 
Like she stooped down to Giselle's level and started talking about Giselle's relationship and that she doesn't know what a real relationship is that holds water and about Ashley's husband cheating. Like she went so low and almost met them where they were. And I feel like that is the worst thing you can do because then your argument sort of loses a lot of its strength in saying like, how can you bring up my husband? How can you talk about my husband when you are doing the exact same thing? You're right. It's one of those things where at the reunion, she, I think most likely will say like, I was just operating completely like straight from the heart. Like I was just pissed and that's what happened. But yeah, no, I, it's, it's only upsetting, not because I like judge her for it. It's only upsetting because it gives Giselle more of a case and you know. I also think a common thing that housewives do and people in life do this too, but you really can see it on housewives is they will say, if she had come to me, I wouldn't have reacted so bad. Or if you had said to this to me, or if you had just texted me earlier, I would have been fine with it. When in reality, that's not necessarily true. And for Wendy to make it seem like, oh, if Giselle had just brought this to me directly, I wouldn't have been so pissed. I just don't think that's true. I think it's so much easier to think the grass is greener. But if if you didn't know any different, Giselle bringing this to you wouldn't really have been that different. Also, how did Idris Elba get involved in all this? because oh because she said like she was so into Idris Elba and Wendy thinks that Eddie looks like Idris Elba yes that's when she said like my fine chocolate man it looks like Idris Elba and that's that's how it all happened. I just like I was just like leave him out of this wait I hold on I have to go back to what you just said though about like you don't even feel bad for Idris okay I mean I I do however like (laughs) net net it's a compliment you know what I mean (laughs) yeah (laughs) no I so Yes, I am so fucking glad that you just said that. I wanted to say that to you. Also, like, Wendy is not mad that Giselle had Ashley do her dirty work. That's like a drop in the bucket. She's mad that this, quote, fabricated plot line is being entered and infused into the show and is now, her marriage is being discussed on a big level. Like, she doesn't give a shit if it was fucking Karen or Mia or Giselle herself. Or a message in a bottle. Like, it didn't matter. Yeah. It could have been a goddamn dove. Like, she's not concerned about that. She's concerned about the storyline. So you're right. It's it's not just her. Everybody does this because, like... We do it in our everyday lives. Like, oh, if she just texted me earlier and said she couldn't come, I wouldn't have been mad. Like, I just always... I do it, but I just think it's, like, an annoying thing that we all do as humans is, like, say what they should have done. I wouldn't have been mad. When, in reality, if that had happened that way, you probably still would have been mad. Interesting when Karen says in her confessional that everybody knew about the blogs, but only one person brought it up. Yeah, I think that speaks volumes too. It does speak volumes. And, and also- Giselle just like still trying to code it in this way that we were like concerned about you? Like, no. Well, that's the thing. Like, I honestly, in this entire conversation for the last like 10 minutes, forgot about the reason she was bringing it up. It wasn't because- we think that there could be truth to this and we want to get your opinion. It's like, by the way, we think that this fabricated article from this one blog is the reason that you got your boobs done. And we're worried about you and you seem different and like, what's wrong? Like, no. Also, by the way, if it says fabricated as you think it is, then your logic just doesn't make sense. Well, their logic also was that she's trying to prove to everyone that these articles aren't true, even though we know it's not true. You know, she's trying to prove that they have this great marriage and like deflect from it, but it just like was all not it. And just, I know we're bouncing around like crazy, but going back to Ashley and Candace, I forgot the whole root of this argument was about the blogs. And that was like the worst part of their argument. And the whole 
main or one of the main issues of last season was like these blogs and feeding them and who was telling them things. And I think it's just such a sensitive subject for them for it to be brought up again when they're in the kitchen one-on-one after a really heated argument where in Candace's eyes, Ashley did something kind of shitty. It was just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, it was. You're right. It was a recipe for disaster. I just like Candace, they just don't like each other. We say it every single episode. They just don't like each other. And they normally are not faced in a situation where they have to be one-on-one. And here they were and she got her on the way out. Yeah. They just really have never clicked or liked each other or seen eye to eye, which is fine. But it also like kind of sad because I think they could be a really great duo. They could be like a Robin and Giselle in a different universe. I don't think it will happen, but it's just fun to think about. A girl can dream. A girl can dream. The way I would like to end this Potomac section is by acknowledging Nicki Minaj's Instagram story where she just basically said that Ascala's face in every single episode was the open mouth emoji and then Ascala reposting it. And I just have to say that I can't imagine the honor that must have bestowed upon her, even though it wasn't necessarily a compliment. Well, Ascala just tweeted basically like, Nicki Minaj knows my name. I mean, she could have said anything. It's still fucking cool. And I'm glad that Nicki is caught up and watching right along with us. I would love to hear what she thought about this week. Holy shit. Imagine we get her on the podcast. Oh my God. Manifest it, everybody. Put your crystals out. I don't know if I'm alone in this or if you agree, but for me personally, I would have watched an entire episode of just like really getting to the nitty gritty of the process of Ebony finding her biological father and the two sisters. And I don't know if she would be open to this or if they would be open to it, but like actually meeting him and and having that phone call recorded, like to me, honest to God, yes, this was a an uneventful episode. I find that stuff so interesting. And I find it even more interesting when anybody is willing to have it documented on TV. So like she seems pretty open. So I just don't know why we didn't go deeper on that. I just think they only have so much time and I bet there's so much interesting information that we don't get to see just based on like how much time she gets in the episode and how much they can film. But like, I want to know it all. I want to just see a genealogy show with Ebony following this journey. And I, I don't even care what else is going on because it's not as exciting. No, it's so true. few quick things to cover here. I know that Twitter like really enjoys watching Leah and her mom's dynamic because I think from what I saw, like people are joking about it, but they kind of like that her mom's a little bit mean to her and stuff. I, I hate it. I, I don't enjoy it at all witnessing it because it just feels like hurtful on both ends. Like not not judging either one of them. I just don't feel like either of them are having the best time. <laughs> no. And I just feel like having cameras always makes family dynamics that are not great much worse. So I just feel like, you know what? Just, you don't need to film with them. Like it's fine. We, it's fi- we don't need it either. Do you think that like the reason for the four week hiatus was because they had nothing to film without Sonia. Like kind of, well, someone wrote, it's so interesting. Like Leah had COVID and was quarantined, I guess for two weeks or 10 days and they still filmed. But then when Sonia had COVID, I think because she was really sick and it was actually like three or four weeks that she was very unwell they just they couldn't do it and they couldn't really be with each other. I don't know what they did during that time, but I don't think we've ever seen them do four weeks later, like in the middle of a filming season. Yeah, that's why I'm saying you. You know, I know we've been very hard on this whole season, but the COVID thing it it just it just screwed things up. Yeah. Well, we're back at Ramona's unexpectedly, <laughs> like we never left because we really yeah. didn't. Yeah, I mean. 
you know, here's what I'll say. They're making the best out of a shitty situation and pin the lips on Harry Duman. Yeah, like I don't it's it's not yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's it. There's nothing happened. It's not even like you can just shit on this episode. Like literally it's just that nothing happened that's worth talking about. But I just don't know if I would rather have an episode that's bad because it's so humiliating for all of them and the the tone deaf and you can't believe your eyes or one when genuinely I had three bullet points because I had nothing else to say. Like it's just both equally not great. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. I, I don't really know. I just, uh, we'll see what happens with this reunion. And I'm glad to see that Sonia had a little bit of like a, a more clearly focused conversation with Luann and Ramona. Yes, me too. I think that was a positive outcome of the episode. Yes. Anything else you would like to mention about anything? No. Anything else you would like to mention about anything? No. I, I feel good. Me too. Okay. Well, we love you guys so much. Julie and I will see you on Monday for our regular episode and we'll be back next week. Thanks for doing this with us. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like Generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.